Today on Graceful Truth, we begin a look at communion. Here's Pastor Steve Converse to give us one of the benefits of communion as we celebrate it as Christians. It's a wonderful time to just pause and, and consider your walk with the Lord. Where are you today? Where were you last week? Where were you six months ago? Where were you a year ago? Are you stuck in the same rut you were spiritually a year ago as you are today? I would encourage you to get out of the rut. <laughs> Ask God to get you out of the rut. It doesn't matter whether you're old or you're young or whatever. Don't just go through the, emo the, the, the motions of Christianity. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It's more than just coming to church and carrying your Bible and saying amen or singing a song. You know, that's just the icing on the cake, beloved. It's something you do seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And if, if that's not our attitude, if we're not doing that, we have to pause and say, why not? What's going on? Because this time of communion holds no saving power. Just because you eat a cracker and drink some juice, that doesn't mean you're saved. However, for those that are saved, it's an important time. Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth. Welcome to our broadcast. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, as mentioned, will take us to a closer look at communion today. We would invite you to join us as we examine communion and what it means, what it is. For some, it's a post-it note. For others, it's such a high event, it's done only once a year. Somewhere in the middle, we find the truth. Won't you join us with this edition of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City? Once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse. This morning, I want to look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And a lot of times we read this when we come to communion time. And I just want to take a little bit of time this morning and, and go over it. You know, ever since the early Christians met in the New Testament, a lot of times they'd meet secretly in homes and they would commemorate the Lord's table. They would, the Lord's death, they would come together around um, communion time, as we know it. And they would come together to remember the death of our Lord and also the resurrection. You know, ever since then, churches, Christianity has been celebrating a communion service, the Lord's table, whatever you want to call it. And of all those things that we, we, we do in church, whether it be praying or Bible study or whatever, I think that the Lord's table should really hold the most meaning to us as believers, just for what it stands for alone. And it should really cause us to come to this table not in a prideful way, but in, in, a, in a way that's humble, in a way that once we understand what communion is all about, uh, it's, it's just amazing. And I think too often, a lot of times, communion or the communion service comes up once a month or sometimes we even do it on Wednesday night or whatever. You know, it's something that we do just, you know, when we do it. It's a lot more than that. It's, it's a lot more than a cracker and some juice. It's a lot more than staring at the cross and saying, thank you, God, for your sacrifice. It's so much more than that. The time we call communion as, as a body of believers is really the opportunity for the church to gather together corporately and to remember what Christ did for us on Calvary and also as he rose from the tomb, how God raised him from the tomb. And it's really also a time, I think, when we can rehearse the message of the gospel in our own mind so that we hear it again. Because today, a lot of times, 
you know, the gospel is not the, the foundation or the centerpiece in the church. It's a lot of other things. And, you know, the, the, the church is the only organization that's, that's entrusted with the gospel of Christ. You stop and you think about that, that's, that's pretty, a pretty big responsibility. And yet so many churches today are taking the gospel, which should be the central theme of the church, and they're setting aside. As we you know, are here once again to partake of communion, um, I just want to look at these couple verses and kind of just looking at, at 23 and 24 there, the couple things that, that stand out, and you have a little outline there. Um, first of all, communion time is a, a time of uh, commemoration. It's a time when we look back and, and we remember what God has done for us. I was watching a DVD the other day and the, the lady on the DVD said, you know, memory is a powerful thing. And I thought about what she said and I thought, how is it powerful? Then I started thinking about it. It is a power. And she said, you know, I think that's why we're told here by Paul to, and, and the Lord said this, do this in remembrance of me. He wanted us to remember what he did. I think that's why she went on to say that's why the, the thief on the cross asked Jesus to remember me today when you, when you get into paradise. Memory is a powerful thing. And here we're called to re, be reminded of what Christ has done. It's kind of a calling to mind the great sacrifice, the, the victorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think they go hand in hand. You know, sometimes we think of the resurrection at what time? Easter, right? That's it. <laughs> but every communion time, we should be mentioning the resurrection because that's part of the gospel. Uh, so we gather today at the Lord's table for communion. And, you know, I just want to call to your, your mind that we're not here to offer, as some churches teach, a new sacrifice. Some churches, the church I was raised in, uh, the, the, the priest gets up every Sunday and he offers a sacrifice to um, cover, atone for the sins of the people. And the priest reaches up with the host and he holds it up like this. He's reaching up into heaven and literally they, they believe that he's pulling Jesus out of heaven to be sacrificed once again. That's why they call it in the Catholic Church an altar. Um, well, it, that flies in the face of Scripture. If you look over at... at Hebrews 10:10. 10, 10, it's very clear. It doesn't. It doesn't stutter. It's. It's very clear to me. It says, "By the will, by that will, we have been sanctified." Notice what tense that is. It's in the past through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? What's it say? Once. Once for all. Once for all. See that that plays in an important part when you begin to think. Well, you know. So do I have to? Uh, you know, do you have to be here to do the communion thing or how does this work? No. You can have communion with your family at home. It's a time of commemoration. It's a time to remember. And Jesus said, whenever you gather together, you should be, you should be doing this. You know, in a lot of churches, in our church, it's usually, which is kind of weird, I don't know where we get this biblically, but we do it on what? The first Sunday of the month. That's our communion time. And I often wondered about that. I thought, that's not biblical. Why do we just do it once a month? I mean, occasionally maybe we'll do it on a Wednesday or you know, if you're in a Bible study or a small group, maybe they'll do it. But it's pretty clear there what Jesus says about when to do this. So I kind of wondered about that. But it's the calling to mind. It's, it's kind of saying, hey, you know what? Remember what I did for you. And he's not still doing that. It's done. It's a done deal. That's why Hebrews says once for all. It's a completed sacrifice and that we've been sanctified. We've been set apart, it says, through that offering for those who trust in Christ. It's not an ongoing thing. 
It's something that's completed. See, the idea of remembering what Christ did is more than just recalling some event that took place in history. And sometimes that's what we bring it down to. Oh, yeah, yeah, communion, we've got to remember the death of Christ. See, it has the idea more of, of stirring up our minds to relive with Jesus as much of his life, as much of his death, as much of his resurrection as humanly possible. We want to kind of put ourselves in his place. And we need to remember a couple things. I wrote some things down there. If you turn over to Philippians chapter 2, first of all, we have to remember that he left heaven. He left heaven to be born in a human body. Look at what it says in verses 5 and 6 of Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself what? Of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, you may say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, think about it. You are God. You're perfect in every way. And you're going to restrict yourself to a body that's human? Obviously, his was sinless, but still, that's a sacrifice. Secondly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, not only did he take on leave heaven and take on a, the form of a human body, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, just beginning in verse 8 there, he says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. In verse 9, he says there, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he what? He became poor. That you through his power might become rich. That would be like someone who's just very, 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 very wealthy coming to you and saying, you know what, I'm going to become poor and I'm going to give you all the wealth that I have so that you can become rich. But I'm going to be poor. I'm going to remain poor. You, you couldn't conceive of that. I mean, you hear about rich people giving away money all the time and helping other people out. But you never hear about someone who is, is totally rich and just forsakes everything so that they can make someone else as wealthy as they, and yet they become poor. That's what Christ did. He became poor that we might become rich in Christ. Third thing there, over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, says in 22 that, or yeah, 22, it says, who committed no sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. What we read. Verse 23, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him, to God, who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. He bore our sins in His own body on the cross. That's what He did. That's what we're remembering. We're not only remembering that Christ gave up heaven and took on a body to come down here, or came down to earth and took on a body, the incarnation, not only remember that He was rich and yet He became poor for our sake so that we could become rich, but also remember that He bore our sins our own sins on the cross. He did personally. When you stop and you think about it, I challenge you to go home this afternoon and start making a list of your sins. And even probably the current ones is a pretty long list, if, like most of us. 
But then you start thinking, okay, well, how about last week? What sins did I... And you start remembering all this stuff. It's not a healthy practice to do, by the way, because God says He has what? Forgiven our sins. I think that's a problem with a lot of believers. They've maybe committed some grievous sins. God has forgiven them, but they haven't forgiven themselves and they haven't forgotten their sins even though God's forgotten them. So they can't move on in their life. But you stop and you think that He bore all of our sins in His own body on the tree. That's, that's an amazing sacrifice. And he did it willingly, Isaiah 53 says. He did it willingly, as we read. He, he went there willingly. Nobody made him do it. Not even God the Father made him do it. He did it willingly. He gave up his own will to do the will of the Father. That's what he said. It's funny how that thing that works sometimes, you know. If, if something's not your will to do it, if it's not a good thing, then you dig your heels in, right? I mean, if if somebody says, you know, you need to start exercising, you don't want to exercise, and, and, and they're trying to make you do something, it's not a fun thing. But if if you know if you like to eat and somebody says, Hey, you want to go out to eat? You say, Ah, oh, no, that's all right. Oh, come on. You know, and it's something you enjoy doing. Well, eventually they're gonna overcome your will and you're gonna give in to it. Well, this was not something that was pleasant for Christ to do. I mean, you think about it. He is God. He is perfect in every way. He committed no sin whatsoever. And He was putting him in it, Himself in a place where God treated His own Son as if He had committed every sin of every person who would ever believe in His name. That's quite a burden, beloved. And He did it willingly. Fifth thing there, he shed his blood for our redemption. First Peter once again mentions that. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but you were redeemed with what? Verse 19 tells us, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He shed His blood for our redemption. Now, you know we're not called to worship the blood of Christ. You may find it weird to believe that some people actually almost worship the blood of Christ. I think when the Bible speaks of the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, he's not talking about physical, necessarily, blood. He's talking about the whole atonement that, that was blood was needed for the atonement, for the purchase. Now, we don't take Christ's blood and put it in a little jar and worship it. And yet, the Bible clearly says without the shedding of blood, there's what? No. No remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. There's no way to deal with sin. And He did it willingly. He also, it says in Matthew 28, that He conquered death for us forever. Matthew 28, verses 1 and 6. Matthew 28, 
It says, Now after the Sabbath, at the first day of the week, began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for the fear of him and became like dead men. They just passed out, couldn't move. Verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. And he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into all Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Incredible. And with that resurrection, the Bible says that those who believe in Christ were raised as well. One day, we, if we have loved ones in Christ that have passed away, one day they will be resurrected and rejoined with their spirit. So he conquered death forever. Seventh thing there, he ascended back to heaven, Hebrews 7.25. And this is another kind of, a, a, kind of an important verse to look at. Hebrews 7.25, because once again, speaks of the finality of Christ's sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 7, we look at verse 25. He says, Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost. In other words, completely. Those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to what? Make intercession for us. He ascended back to heaven, Christ did, after He rose from the dead, and He now is our high priest in heaven. He makes intercession for us, prays for us. I mean, there's something to said about when, when, when you know people are praying for you. When you know someone is, is bathing you in prayer if you're going through a sickness or if you're going dealing with an emotional situation or family problems or whatever, or financial, whatever it is, you, when you know somebody's praying for you, no matter who it is, it, it kind of at least gives you a little bit of hope to the situation. Think about it next time. You know what? The Lord is interceding for you. The Lord Himself is in heaven dealing probably with whatever you're dealing with, helping you in that way, even though you can't sense it, maybe, or you can't see it. So we want to remember those things. It's a time of commemoration, those things that Christ did for us. Secondly, it's a, it's a time of contemplation. Not only are we to remember what Jesus has done for humanity, but we're also think about what His sacrifice means for individuals. 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. But the important question is, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you personally? As you sit here this morning, you might say, well, yeah, I know Jesus died on a cross. I know He died to save sinners. I know that. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, what does that mean to you personally? Another way to put it is, have you been saved? Have you put your faith and your trust in the God of heaven to save you? Does His sacrifice move you toward Him in worship if you're saved? 
Does the fact that He is alive forevermore thrill you in some way and excite you and cause you to bow before Him in humility and worship? That's what it should do. We should use this time this morning as we gather for communion to reflect on these things, to reflect on what the work of Christ means to us, not just as a church, not just as Christianity, but what does it mean to you as an individual? Our mind should reflect on what His death and His resurrection has accomplished in our own lives. Stop and think about who you were before Christ and who you are now if you've come to Christ. There should be a difference. We want to remember those things. I mean, it's a wonderful time to just pause and, and consider your walk with the Lord. Where are you today? Where were you last week? Where were you six months ago? Where were you a year ago? Are you stuck in the same rut you were spiritually a year ago as you are today? I would encourage you to get out of the rut. <laughs> Ask God to get you out of the rut. It doesn't matter whether you're old or you're young or whatever. Don't just go through the, emo the, the, the motions of Christianity. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It's more than just coming to church and carrying your Bible and saying amen or singing a song. You know, that's just the icing on the cake, beloved. It's something you do seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And if, if that's not our attitude, if we're not doing that, we have to pause and say, why not? What's going on? Because this time of communion holds no saving power. Just because you eat a cracker and drink some juice, that doesn't mean you're saved. However, for those that are saved, it's an important time. So ask yourself this morning, are you living in a manner that pleases Him? Is your heart right with the Lord? And that's what we want to consider that. Be thinking about that. Thirdly there, it's a time of identification. We talked about, you know, when we take the Lord's Supper publicly, we're, we, it's basically a way of identifying ourselves with those who trust in Christ. As baptism is, after you're saved, you come to Christ, the Bible says that you should be baptized. You should be identified with the body of Christ. Very clear. It's the first act of obedience. Well, this is also kind of an act of obedience because you're obeying the words of Christ as you come together, declare this and, and, and practice this till I come back. He hasn't come back yet, so we should still be uh, commemorating. We should still be contemplating. We should be identifying with Him through the Lord's Supper. Now, it is possible for a lost person to take part of this today. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know Christ, you could eat this juice. You could eat that bread. We don't encourage you to do it because the Bible discourages you from doing it. But it's important for those who are saved, because it really is a time for us to declare publicly what we believe about the death and resurrection of Christ. And the Bible does speak of those who partake of it in an unworthy manner. But I think that a lot of times, you know, we think of communion and we think of non-believers taking it. I think what Paul was saying was, you know what, I'm, I'm talking to you believers. Don't you believers take partake of communion in an unworthy manner? Well, what does that mean? See, the Bible reminds us that we shouldn't be ashamed of Him. So when we come together in a public place or in a church and we're called to commemorate and remember who Christ is, uh, we're not to be ashamed of who we are in Christ. 
In Romans chapter 10, it says that very clearly. Romans 10, verses 9 to 11, Paul writes this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. See, that, that shows someone who's not ashamed. They're willing to confess Christ. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.